Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Tonight, our guest is Ashley. And I actually initially met Ashley because she filled out a form about our Story Night podcast. And not long after that, we were able to go on a walk together and I got to hear her story and through a series of emails and a bunch of rescheduling and (laughs) technological issues that we have now solved, we are here and very excited (laughs) to finally get um, get this up for you. So Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for filling out the form and taking time to walk with me and talk with me and being available to record tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me and thank you for bearing with me through the rescheduling that we had to do. <laughs> real life, real life, we're, we're, we make yes. it happen. Ashley, would you just introduce yourself briefly to our listeners before we kind of go into greater depth with your story? Yeah, so um, my name is Ashley and why I wanted to do this podcast is because I think that it's really important for just like through all the other podcasts that I've listened to and that, you know, I've heard the stories of that our stories are important to each and everyone's lives as Christians, um, non-Christians, you know, just people in general getting to hear different people's stories. Because I think a lot of times we don't take time to really get to know somebody and to hear their testimony or their story. And I really love my story because there are so many pieces of it that God has worked together, even just in, you know, my childhood and my teenage years. And I still have a lot of life to live, but I know that God has already done some pretty cool things for me and through me. And I'm excited to see where the rest of my life goes. So that's why I'm going to do the podcast. And that's a little tiny piece about me. (laughs) Not very much, but (laughs) it's it's the trailer. I think it's amazing. I I know just walking with you felt that you have an old soul and that you're already able to see that you love your story. And for many women, it takes a long time to love our own story. Mm -hmm. There are many chapters that we like and we wish were different and we kind of kick and scream our way through. And often it takes years, if not decades, to look back on those chapters as part of the whole story and go, I love my story. I love how God wrote my story. So I would like very much to invite you, take us all the way back and tell us your story. Yes. So I really quickly, I should have done this a little sooner, but I want to start out reading a Bible verse because I think this Bible verse has a lot to do with me as a baby and even before like I was even conceived, you know, Psalm 139, 13 says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. (laughs) Those verses in recent years have meant a lot to me because I think that just, you know, I'm adopted, so I don't really know um, much about my family. So that's been a little hard recently. And those verses have really spoken to me a lot. And so 
my adoption story actually starts out kind of with what my parents had to go through in order for me to even be a part of their family. There were several pieces. Um, my parents got married and then they were trying to have kids for eight years and they weren't able to get pregnant. And my mom had multiple surgeries to try to help with that and nothing happened. And she ended up having a hysterectomy at, at one point. They were going to adopt a little baby boy and it just ended up falling through. They were, they didn't feel right about it. They, they were going to go through with it. And then the social, their social worker just asked them, you know, do you guys want to keep going forward with this? And they just both felt like it wasn't the right thing to do. They felt a heaviness on them. They felt just not right about the whole situation. My mom has told me this story so many times. And she told me that, you know, she was going to adopt this baby. They couldn't have a baby of their own. They were going to adopt this baby. You know, you'd think that she'd be super excited about it, super happy because they were finally going to get this baby that they wanted. And they just didn't. She said she was crying all the time and she just did not feel like it was right. And so she just looked at my dad and she's like, do you want to keep doing this or do you want to back out? And he said, I think we need to back out. And she said, as soon as she told the social worker, they just felt like this weight lifted off their shoulders. And my mom describes it almost as, you know, God was just, in a sense, trying to like, beat some sense into them. Like, no, no, this isn't the right, this isn't the right one for you. Like, I have something different in mind for you. And then I believe they went through, for my adoption anyways, because my sister is also adopted, but for my adoption, they went through a Christian agency, as far as I know, and got in touch with a social worker. And my birth mom, Kenda, actually went to prison for some drugs and alcohol issues. And she actually used alcohol and meth and marijuana for five months before she realized that she was pregnant. And then when she went to prison, she couldn't have any of that stuff. So she stopped, which ultimately saved my life, <laughs> to be honest. And so they got in touch with that and they went up there and Kenda was let out of prison just long enough to give birth to me. And my parents took me home when I was two days old as a foster child. Once Kenda went back to prison, they had to bring me up there for visitation and stuff frequently. And Kenda realized after some visitation um, that she when she was able to see me that she knew she wasn't going to be able to take care of me. And she had other kids too from different relationships. And so she knew she wasn't going to be able to take care of me the way that I needed to be taken care of. So she asked my mom and dad if they would adopt me. And of course they said yes. <laughs> and they were able to adopt me. And I remember my mom told me that they took me when I was a baby because I was adopted. Oh, my adoption was finalized probably by the time I was one, like completely finished, I think. So they took me over to my grandparents' house and my grandparents and my mom and dad just like prayed over me and like praised God that, that I was in their life and that I was able to be a part of their family. And so that's kind of, that's kind of my adoption story. There's a lot of other details, but I think my mom would be the best person to talk about them because it was more of her story than mine. But that definitely impacted my life. I mean, you, you don't really think about how much it can actually impact your life until you are the one in the situation. And I never thought really that I had anxiety or that I had a lot of like 
feelings about myself that were not good feelings, like my self-esteem, my self-worth. I have struggled with that a lot. And that's where Psalm 139 kind of comes into play is it reminded me that he created me and he created me for a purpose and for a reason. And there's a song that I really like called Canvas and Clay, and it talks about that a lot. And that kind of helped me to kind of just give God all the praise and the glory for my life, even though I think, you know, I've messed up a lot or I think I just don't think very highly of myself. I always have to remember that it doesn't matter what I think about myself. It matters what God thinks about me. And so fast forward to I'm like 13 or 14. And my dad calls my sister and I into the living room and he and my mom had been talking a little bit in there and tells us to sit down. And so we're like, okay, what is he, what is he wanting to tell us? (laughs) He was a mechanic for over 20 years and out of the blue, he just says, I'm going to quit my job and go back to school. And we're kind of sitting there like, you're going to do what? He's like, yeah, I feel like God's really telling me to quit my job and to go back to school for Uh, wastewater treatment. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But mom doesn't work. We're too young to work. Like, how's this, how's this going to work? Like, I don't, I don't get this. Like, where are we going to get food? How are we going to pay for gas? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And my sister and I were kind of scared. And my dad just, I remember my dad just saying, you know, like, God's going to take care of everything. Like, we don't have to worry about anything because he's going to take care of it for us. And I remember like it took a while, but dad, dad did quit his job. He started going to school. Things did get tight and we didn't, we didn't tell anyone from church or anything that we were struggling with money or buying food and things like that. But we would end up having people just call us and say, Hey, do you guys need food? Like we have food boxes at the church that we need to give somebody. And for some reason we just thought of you guys. And my mom would be like, oh, well, yeah, thank you. So they would bring out food to us. And I remember my uncle, who was a pastor for a long time, came out to our house one time. And that was one of the days that they brought food to us. They brought a huge turkey and like two or three boxes of food. And he just started crying. And he was just like, this is incredible. Like, did you tell anyone that you needed food? And my mom's like, no, we haven't told anyone. There's so many more people they could have given these boxes to, but they chose to give them to us. And I remember my mom telling me that sometimes they would, we would go out to our car after church and there would be a check on our windshield for the exact amount that we needed for bills and for food. And just, you know, all of these, all of these things that happened to us, like I could see God's hand at work through all of it. You know, and some people may be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, like no big deal. But to me, it's a huge deal because it just shows how faithful God is in any circumstance, you know, how faithful he is in big circumstances, how faithful he is in the little things. You know, I always think of the phrase, there's nothing too big that God can't handle and there's nothing too small he doesn't care about. And just in the first few chapters of your life, you can see how much he had his hand in this. And it might be easy for somebody listening to maybe make the wrong assumption here or there or think, well, why, why didn't your parents adopt that little boy? Whatever happened to him? And, 
And knowing God, he doesn't abandon anybody as he's Mm -hmm. writing stories. But often, sometimes we think a a certain path that we are going down might be a wonderful, good path, but that's not the path he has planned for you. And, you know, I, I can see that already in your story that the decisions your parents were making, from what I understand, it sounds like they were making decisions very prayerfully, that they were really listening to God in these decisions. And because Mm -hmm. they were sensitive to hearing from him, they have the family that God intended them to have. And then for you to watch that as a teenager, them continuing to listen, because it doesn't sound like your dad was just flippant and, ah, okay, I don't really feel like working anymore, so I'm just going to quit and expect God to, you know, pour money into our laps. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very different approach as opposed to I am listening to God and this is what I believe I'm supposed to be doing even if it doesn't really make sense to the rest of the world. He was trusting God to fill in and provide the answers that he didn't have. Yeah. Yeah, and he really loves his job too. His coworkers are amazing. He has great supervisors. The one thing in that portion of my dad's job, he ended up getting hired on where he is now, right out of school and everything. And they have to wear pagers every like six weeks. They rotate pagers because if anything happens at the sewer treatment plant, they need to be able to get there to fix it so that nothing happens to anything. And my dad, was told, well, you live too far away, so you're going to have to move your family closer. And we're probably, I think we're like 42 minutes away and they needed to be like 30 minutes from the plant. And that was like on the really tight end of it. And so we ended up having to sell our house and we were kind of not thinking it was going to sell right away, but it did. It sold pretty quickly. So we ended up moving into our trailer on our friend's property for like four months with our dogs and stuff and putting all of our other stuff in storage. And those four months were actually pretty fun, even though there were four people in a small trailer. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. We were able to go swimming. We were able to like find stuff to do. We, We still were in school. And then, you know, my parents were trying to look for a house as soon as they could because we needed to move in there. And it was probably September or October. And they were like, well, the winter's coming. We really need to find a house. One day we were at my friend's house and my parents came to pick us up. And we had no idea that they were looking at houses that day or anything. I guess they found a house for us to move into. And I just remember my sister and I starting to cry when we got to our trailer and just, just, you know, like, thank you, God, that we found a house. And the really neat thing, and this is even God providing for us and being faithful to us. And this too is the house that my parents live in now that we bought when my dad got a job in McMinnville is almost the exact layout of the house that we had to sell in Dallas almost identical. There's a few like things that are different, but for the most part, the layout is almost the same. And even my mom, when she went to look at it, just like acted like she already owned this house, like not that she was looking at it to buy. So it just, she just felt at home there. All four of us felt at home there, but it was scary because I was 16 when we moved up here and I was having to find new friends somewhere because I didn't go to school up here. So I was having, having to find new friends, you know, leave my old friends 
only 30 minutes away, but it's still for a 16 year old kind of a long ways away from your friends, you know? So it was, it was a big learning thing for us, but it was, I think it was a good season. Now that I'm looking back, you know, years later, I'm looking at that and I'm like, you know, that was actually a really good season in our life. And I actually graduated high school where my parents live now. And I remember being in my kitchen or in our kitchen the day after one of my graduation parties and we were all eating breakfast and I got up to get some water. And the next thing I know, I'm on the floor. And I, I remember hearing my parents get up from the table and they're freaking out and they're saying, Oh, she had a seizure. You know, what are we going to do? I remember hearing the water on in the background as I'm laying there on the floor, starting to freak out because my mom just told me I had a seizure and I've never had a seizure before in my life. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, I'm not going to be able to drive. I'm really, really close to getting my license. Like, what am I going to do? So I remember dad picks me up and put me on the couch and he told my sister to not let me fall asleep because we didn't know if I had a concussion. And he, you know, quickly they got dressed to take me to the hospital. And I remember my sister was freaking out. She was crying because she was scared. She didn't know what was going on. And we got to the hospital and it took an hour and a half plus for me to get back to be seen. And they did a bunch of tests, you know, didn't really figure anything out. They thought, okay, maybe you have a, maybe you had a seizure. So then I had to go through a bunch of tests at a neurologist. I couldn't drive for like three to six months. And I was nine hours away from getting my license, all this stuff only to finally be told, I think you were just dehydrated. And it was, this was like three or four months of all these hospital visits, CT scans. By the way, those machines are really scary when you go inside of them. <laughs> and MRIs, EEGs, it was something else, something else. And my mom was scared. You know, we had several people praying for our family. My grandparents came from Salem to the hospital to be with me when I went to the ER. My mom and dad got an email from my literature teacher when I was still in school. And she was just, you know, giving them encouragement, saying how much, like, she loved us, that she was praying for us. And that was a big, a big thing for our family too. But, you know, it was as difficult and as scary as that time. That even was just the Syncopal episode. God still showed me that he was faithful even in that, like, I mean, I'm telling you guys all these things about my life where I've seen that God is being faithful. And I remember being at my grandpa's house and he had had a stroke several years ago and he never really talked about it. But when I was over there, we were sitting out on the back porch and he opened up to me about his stroke, which was a big deal for me because he never talked about it because he had to lose his license because he lost peripheral vision on his left side. So he couldn't drive anymore. And it just, it just completely devastated him. But he, you know, reminded me that no matter what, God was taking care of us. And he was looking out for me because it could have gone uh, worse. I could have gotten my license and gotten into a car accident, passing out at the wheel, but I didn't. And I remember for several days, my grandpa would call me with verses Every day there's one, I think it's Isaiah 26, 3, and it says, he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast on him or something along those lines. And that's one that sticks out to me a lot. That is a super important verse for me too. And I have a journal I got from my graduation that I wrote my 
whole story out because my grandpa actually encouraged me to write out what happened so that years later I could go back and read through what God brought me through and how he brought me through it. Sounds like your grandpa could host a story night. I mean, he could. <laughs> he really could. He really could. He's an I incredible think I need man. to meet this guy. <laughs> I know. I love my grandpa so much. Writing those stories down and telling the stories and and I've said it before whether it's to one whether you're sharing with one person or many many when you look back you can see the the author's hand and you mm-hmm. can you can see where God was during the times that maybe maybe at that time it seemed like he was missing or that you couldn't understand what he was doing but years later yeah you can see it yeah and even moving up here at the time I was just like I don't want to move like I just can't imagine being anywhere but in Dallas where all my friends are I don't I can't imagine moving anywhere else like there's no way I'm gonna make any friends you know like I don't go to school here like how am I gonna meet people and we were still for several years we still went to church in Dallas too so I was still with my friends but then it got to the point where it was just like too much driving So we started going to church at Hopewell. And that was one of the highlights of, I think, my life is just being able to go out there. Hopewell's a pretty small church, so I got to know everybody really well. And I got to play the piano out there and be on the worship team. And it was a great, a great time in my life. I got asked to go to Honduras on a mission trip. And I really wanted to go, but I also kind of was undecided on my college career path because at this point in my life I'm graduated from high school that syncope stuff was behind me I was driving like I had my license and everything so I was like kind of undecided on what career I wanted because I had started going for business and I was like that's not for me I was gonna go for like being a, a medical receptionist and I was like that's not for me either but I like you know medicine I like helping people so I was like well let me talk to an advisor and see if there's any like medical careers I could get into. So I saw an advertisement for medical assisting. And so I asked my advisor about it and he gave me some details and everything. And I was like, Oh, that sounds fun. So I went to a, like a informational night about the program. And I was like, yeah, I think this is something I could do. It sounds really interesting. Not a huge fan of excessive blood or vomiting, but I was like, well, I'm in the medical field, I guess I'll get over it at some point, you know, I'm going to kind of have to. So I was like, okay, this might be something to do. Well, I, so I applied for the medical assisting program and I prayed about it a lot because it was going to, when I would start was going to conflict with my trip to Honduras that I really wanted to go on. And I was like, man, like, I'm not really sure. Like I want both of these things. So I just prayed like, God, you know, what is, what is your desire for me in this season of my life? Where do you want me to go at this point? And so I did not get into the program the first time I applied for it. Typically, the medical assisting and nursing um, programs at Chemeketa are pretty competitive. So they told me beforehand I might not get in the first time, but not to be discouraged. So I was like, well, I didn't get in this time. So I guess that means I get to go to Honduras this year. So I was super excited about that. So I signed up to go and then they told me, well, if you don't get into the medical assisting program the first time, you'll be put on the alternate list, which automatically guarantees you a spot in the next cohort, which is going to be in the fall 
So God answered both my prayers. I was able to go to Honduras in June and I was able to start my medical assisting program in September. So I got to go, I got to do both things. And let me tell you, I'm so glad that I was able to go to Honduras. That is one of the best trips I will ever go on to be there and take care of the kids and play with them and build them a school was something that I will never forget. The kids were incredible kids. They, I mean, I don't know very much Spanish, but I know enough to, I knew enough then to be able to at least communicate a little bit. And just the conversations I was able to have with the girls was incredible. All of them, when we left, all of them were crying and we were crying because you know, we didn't want to leave. We wanted to be with them. And we were able, we had raised enough money to be able to take a hundred plus kids to the water park in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And just to see the looks on their faces when they walk through the gates to go into the water park was priceless. I mean, these kids come from the slums. They come from the streets. They are called orphans, even if they have parents because their parents don't care about them. I mean, we heard stories where one of the kids was locked in a refrigerator to die by his grandmother and his aunt saved him and took him out of the house. Such horrific stories, but yet the one thing the kids always repeat is God took care of me or God is faithful or God's a good father. God loves me like these things. And you're just sitting here like, how in the world are you even able to fathom that and even believe that when you've had to go through as much stuff as you've gone through? I was just amazed. The worship times were incredible. Like the kids were just in awe of God the whole time. It was incredible. And you would think too, because a lot of them don't have good families and good parents, that it would be really hard for them to think of God as their father but he's really the only father they've ever known. We were there. The first year I went, we were there on Father's Day, and the message was about how God is a good father, how he takes care of us, how he loves us. The pastor that was there asked them, you know, what do you think about God? Like, what would you say God is? And people, kids were raising their hands, and they were saying things like loving, you know, takes care of us, you know, kind, all these things that you would not expect to hear from somebody that has had a terrible father or parent in general in their lives. And it just taught, it ju taught me a lot. Like, I think if anything out of my story, I think that is one thing that shaped my story the most is being able to go there and see those kids actually worshiping God, loving on God, treating us as if we were family to them. It was incredible. I've never experienced anything like it ever. And it was, it was pretty cool. That, I think that's one thing that shaped my story more than anything. And just knowing that I am chosen for a purpose and maybe I don't know what that purpose is yet. Maybe somebody that is going to listen to this <laughs> at some point, you know, doesn't know what their purpose is, that they don't need to give up on that, even if they can't see it right now. And they just need to lean in to who God is and just know that he has a plan for their life. Even if they can't see it, he will be faithful no matter what through any circumstance, even the, the hard circumstances, like he is still loving no matter what, even if you don't understand the circumstances, he will always um, keep you safe and keep you in the palm of his hand 
and he'll never let go of you. And I think that's just the important thing to remember from all of this. And I have so much life <laughs> left to live that my story is going to continue for who knows how long. So I'm sure there's going to be other additions I'll be able to make to my story in years to come. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned something quite brilliant about just the way you look at your circumstances. And essentially, we have two choices. We can either let our circumstances define our view of God, or we can let our view of God define our circumstances. What a beautiful thing for you to be able to go to a place like Honduras and just to see children whose circumstances are are such that most of us, if we're listening in, in the United States, have never come close to experiencing anything like that. And yet these kids can see the goodness of God so clearly. Mm-hmm. And what a gift that you were able, able to be a part of that, which I think launched you into preparation for some leadership. Yes. So after going to Honduras and stuff, I came back and my friend from Hopewell, Logan, actually knew of a college group called 180. And if any of you listening know me or knew me when I was a little bit younger, you would know that going places that I've never been before sometimes caused me a little social anxiety (laughs) and a little nervousness. (laughs) So when he invited me to it, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds fun. But inside I was like, man, I'm so scared. Like I don't know anyone except for him. So he took me the first time and I absolutely loved the worship. I loved the message that we had. And I actually met quite a few friends that night. So I kept going with him. He would pick me up and I kept going with him for the next month or so. I kept going with him. And then he told me, oh yeah, next week I'm not going to be able to go, but you should still go. And I was like, if you're not going, there's no way I'm going. Like, I'm not going to drive myself there. And so I was thinking about it and I just kind of felt like I should still go, even though he wasn't going to be there. So I was like, fine, I'll drive myself there. So I drove myself there and I literally sat in my car mm, 20 minutes, maybe, maybe even longer than that, just working up the courage to go in there. And I get there early for a reason. So that if I'm nervous, I can sit there for a little while and make myself go in there. So I went in there and, you know, thinking the worst, like, oh, nobody's going to talk to me. I'm going to be by myself. But that night, not having Logan there actually helped me a little bit because I wasn't relying on him to introduce me to people. I was I had to rely on God to bring those people to me or to rely on him to help me go to other people and introduce myself to them. So that night was really good. And from then on, I pretty much drove myself there every week. I really felt like that's where God wanted me to be. So after that, it kind of, after I became a regular member, it kind of led to a leadership position at 180. And that is actually kind of how I met my husband, Jericho. He joined leadership team um, not too long after me. And we started dating around Valentine's Day of 2017 is when we really started dating. That was like our first official date day and we hiked at Cascade Head and then we dated until June 17th and then we got engaged and then we're engaged until May 12th 2018 and that's when we got married so that's kind of our love story short version (laughs) (laughs) well I'm so glad you stuck it out with 180 (laughs) for all of you who sit in cars waiting to go in you never know your future (laughs) husband might be in there (laughs) 
I actually told that um, to a few people because there are couples we know that have met their spouses at 180 or even at Rethink. There's a couple that just got married not too long ago that met at Rethink. So good place to find your future spouse. <laughs> it is. In fact, with that, I'd love for you to share just a little bit of what Rethink is and what you're doing on leadership there for, for anyone listening who has no idea what what this is. Okay. So Rethink was actually kind of started by Bryant. It was kind of a, a Bryant Ashton, I should say. It was something that God laid on his heart to do to reach the young people in our community because there's not really too many college Christian college ministries in our community. And he felt that that, that is something that needs to be to be there, especially for the young people in our generations and for the young people coming up out of high school and stuff too. And so he felt that on his heart and he wanted to put together what we call the dream team, which is a group of core believers that he feels God is going to do something amazing through at Rethink. And so Jericho and I were asked to be a part of that and we, you know, spent time praying about it and we went to the first leadership meeting and after that we kind of felt like, yeah, I think this is where God has us. We feel a huge burden for the young people in our community as well, because as the older people, you know, start getting older, getting frail, there needs to be young people who can come alongside them and take their place in ministry to continue to build the kingdom of God up. And that is what we try to do at Rethink is to share the gospel with um, young adults to allow, allow for any questioning that they have and to try to help them as much as we can to answer those questions. And one of the things that we always say at Rethink is if, you know, we as leaders don't know the answers to those questions, we will find somebody that does, whether that's our pastor or an elder of our church or someone with more wisdom and knowledge about the Bible, we will go and search out those answers for people and come back and try to help them. And it's not supposed to take the place of church because we want people to continue going to their church and serving in their church, but it's a supplement during the week where they can come and fellowship with people who are closer to their age group. It's been really fun so far. Oh, that's awesome. And we are so, we're just so appreciative of every ministry branch. And if you're, you know, in the McMinnville area and want to know anything more about Rethink, I know that Ashley would be happy to chat with you. And, and she talked about Bryant mm-hmm. Ashton as well. He's he's on staff with me at Calvary and doing a, an amazing job. And, and if you are far away, but this sounds amazing too, there is a Rethink podcast and we've got all kinds of resources we can send your way no matter how far away you are. So, Ashley, we've taken your story up until just about present day, but Mm -hmm. you have another chapter that is connecting the present with past. Yes, this this present chapter has actually been quite difficult for me, but something I think that God knew I could handle now um, that he knew I wouldn't have been able to handle when I was younger. So basically what What happened is I wanted to kind of, because since I'm adopted, I don't really know a whole lot about my ethnicity, you know, where I came from necessarily as far as that goes. So Jericho and I talked about doing the Ancestry DNA kit just to find out. I wasn't specifically wanting to find out about my birth family. I just wanted to know if I had 
you know, any Scottish blood, any English blood, you know, anything like that, that I don't know. And so I did that. I knew there was a slight possibility that other people from my birth family could have done it, but I didn't think anything of it. I didn't actually think anything was going to come of it at all because I didn't, that wasn't my intention in doing it in the first place because I was content with being adopted and not needing to know that part of my life. And actually to go back just, just for a second, doing youth ministry with Jericho has been rough sometimes because we deal with a lot of kids who have anxiety, depression, their home lives are not the best. And there was a situation that happened where I went to visit one of the youth girls. She was in a psych unit, very sad situation. I actually left crying and came home. And all of a sudden I got this overwhelming anger towards my birth mom, Kinda. And it was like, it came out of nowhere. Like I didn't have any warning. It just happened. And I called my mom crying and I was like, mom, I don't know what's happening. I've never felt angry towards her, but I literally feel intense anger. Never felt that way before. And my mom was just like, you know, I think it's okay for you to be angry because I would be surprised if you didn't feel anything at all. And so I was like, okay. So moving back forward to probably December, January, I do this ancestry DNA thing. I get my results back and I had downloaded the app so I could see my results on the app. And then uh, not too long after I had done that, I get this message on the ancestry app. And I was like, who would be messaging me? Like, this is really weird. And it was actually Kinda's sister, Brittany, that messaged me. And I didn't even know who Brittany was at this point. Like I didn't know that she was Kinda's sister or anything. And so that kind of disturbed me because I was not expecting any of this at all. And I also felt guilty because I didn't want to hurt the relationship or to hurt my parents by having been in contact with my birth family. She told me some stuff about my birth family and I was just like, okay. And so I like messaged her a little bit more. And I just, at work, I was just crying all the time. I did not feel happy or joyful at all during this whole thing. And I ended up calling my dad to tell him this because I knew if I told anyone, my dad would be the easiest to tell first. And then I could tell my mom after that. So I told my dad and he said, I'm not going to say anything to your mom about this unless you say something to her or you want me to. And basically Brittany had said, you know, that Kenda would like a letter from me. And I was just kind of like, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Cause I don't, I haven't had them in my life for over 20 years and I didn't really, you know, know how to feel about it. And so my dad's like, you know, like I will support you in whatever decision you make. And he said, if God wants you to pursue writing a letter to your birth mom, your mom will be okay with it too. All of a sudden, one day I just was like, I have to tell my mom, like, I'm just miserable. And I was just so scared I was going to hurt her. So I called her and I was in tears. And I told her basically what Brittany had said. And she was like, honey, it's okay. You know, if you really feel like God wants you to write a letter to Kenda, like I will support you and I will love you no matter what. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's my, you know, my sign that I'm supposed to do this, but I just wasn't, just wasn't sure about it. And then I went over to my parents' house and they gave me a bunch of letters that Kenda had written to me when I was little. My mom said, don't read them unless Jericho's with you and you are able to just kind of 
focus on that and it's not a work day because you're going to need to process things. I waited probably a month before I read the letters. And I told Jericho, I'm like, I just need to read these so that I can just heal and process things. And he's like, okay, let's sit down and we can read them. And basically all the letters are there. You know, she's writing to me as a little girl and as a baby even. And one of the letters just basically says that my, my birth sister, Tara, was really sad that I wasn't going to spend Christmas with her. And so they put a, a picture of me on their Christmas tree and how, you know, they know that my parents are taking good care of me and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, people were telling me, as I would tell them this, people were telling me, oh, you're going to be really angry when you read these letters. And I was like, okay, like I'm preparing myself to be angry. And as I read those letters, I did not feel anger at all. I didn't feel love either, you know, in the sense of the kind of love that my mom and I have towards each other. I think mainly I felt, how would I describe it? Kind of like a, kind of like a sympathy towards her because I don't know how it's, how it feels to give up your child after you've, you know, given birth to them and stuff, like how that feels. So that definitely was difficult for me. But as I've been thinking and praying about it, I sent her a letter. And when around my birthday, I got a card and a letter from Kenda. And the letter doesn't answer any of the questions I asked her. It basically says, oh, I want, I want you to come down so we can talk to each other in person about this. And I've prayed about it. And I really do not feel like that is what God wants me to do at this point in my life. I feel like God was giving me the opportunity for a little bit of closure and for the opportunity to heal. And I think that I have been healing a lot and I'm not bitter anymore. And I don't have a desire right now to form a relationship with them because I am understanding better than I ever understood before that God places you where he wants you at the right times that he wants you there. And that is exactly what he did in my life. He put me in my parents' life for a reason. And they love me. They've given me the best home I ever could have asked for. I wouldn't have met Jericho and gotten married had I not been a part of their family. I never would be on leadership team anywhere that I'm a leader at right now. I wouldn't be a medical assistant at PMC right now, my whole life would have been different. And I don't want to know what that life would have been because it wouldn't have been anything compared to what it is or what it has been these last 24 years. And I'm so thankful to God that any of the situations, good or bad, happened in my life. And I couldn't have a more loving family, a more loving God to turn to when I need help. So that, that is my testimony. And the main thing I think for people to just remember is, you know, God is faithful. He chooses you at the right times for the right things that he wants you to do in your life. As long as you are seeking him and listening to his voice to tell you what he desires for you and what he wants you to do. One of the words you said as you shared your story that I know you and I have talked about before is the word chosen. Mm -hmm. And it's so evident to me listening to your story that that is a thread that God has woven through your whole story, that you are chosen. You were chosen when he formed you in your mother's womb. And the verse from Psalm 139 is perfect. Your parents chose you. You were chosen to be on leadership. Jericho chose you. 
God has chosen you for so many different chapters and, and kind of positions in your life. He chose you to go to Honduras and he's chosen you to be where you are right now, serving him in the way you're serving him right now. And I hope listeners can hear that word chosen. God has absolutely chosen each one of us on purpose for a purpose. And there's really not many feelings that are better than having somebody pick you. Definitely. As we're closing, I was hoping that you might give just some words of hope and encouragement to anybody who is feeling for lack of a better word, unchosen. That that feel, <laughs> I mean, it is one of the most hurtful feelings to stand somewhere and feel like nobody wants you. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the most beautiful, fulfilling feelings to realize that, that somebody wanted you, somebody picked you, and that you are special and that you have a purpose and that you are wanted and you are valuable. And there are way too many people in this world that do not recognize their own value and do not feel chosen. Yeah, I think definitely, I know even sometimes in my own life, I have felt like I wasn't chosen But I really would encourage people to sit down and to just think about their life and think about the things that they're involved in and sit there and think about, well, maybe God did choose me for this. It might not seem significant to you, but you never know how significant it is to somebody else. You know, like I never knew certain things in my life impacted certain people until years later, they're telling me you know, oh, I remember that you always prayed for me when we would sit down and talk or I hope I would have an issue. One of my friends actually told me that yesterday and I never knew that my life or the work that God has done in my life had impacted her like that. You never know who's watching. You never know who you're impacting. And just remembering that God does choose you even if you feel like, what you are a part of is insignificant. Nothing is insignificant to God. Every area of ministry, every job, every activity, everything matters to God. I think that's the main thing I would say is like, just remember that even if you think it's insignificant, it doesn't mean that God hasn't chosen you for that, for whatever it is that you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you for opening up your story and for all that you're doing in ministry right now. You mentioned a very special song by Pat Barrett called Canvas and Clay. The lyrics certainly speak to your story. It's such a perfect song for your testimony, and I think each listener should hear the words. So ladies, Ashley is going to play the song for you right now. And I hope you can hear that every word in this song is not just true about Ashley, but true about you as well. Can I say the clay? 
Thank you so much, Ashley, for sharing this song with us. These are the kind of lyrics we should all have stuck in our heads, reminding us of our value and of God's perfect plan. So thank you again for sharing your story and for sharing your musical gifts. 
And would you close us by praying for everyone listening? Yeah. Thanks for having me too, Jessica. Um, it was fun to to share my testimony. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's pray really quick. God, I just thank you for this amazing opportunity that I got to be able to share how you have shown up in my life in incredible ways, how you've chosen me for a purpose, God, how you've been faithful to me all these years and how you'll continue to be faithful to me in many more years to come, God. And I just pray for anyone, Lord, who is listening, that they would just know that they've been chosen for a purpose, God, that you would just reveal it to them and that you would make known to them the path that you want them to take, God, and that they would know that they're wanted by you more than anything else, God, that they have been chosen for a purpose, God, and that you have a plan for them. And Lord, I just pray that my testimony will impact people and that people will see from what you have done, even in my life, God, that they do have a purpose, even if it seems small to them, God, that you will use things in amazing ways that they won't even know, maybe not ever know, but that you will use them to impact the people around them, God. And I just thank you so much for the Story Night podcast, Lord. It has been a huge blessing to me, and I know it's been a huge blessing to other women, God. And I just thank you uh, for Jessica and that she's leading this podcast, God. And we just love you so much, God, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Ashley. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad yeah. that I, I got to meet you because of the podcast. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm glad I got to meet you too. <laughs> it's always fun when you meet somebody for the first time and it's like, well, tell me your whole life story. <laughs> I know. <laughs> let's just, let's just you know, dive right in. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. And for all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And we hope that you will come back next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast. A ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.